0: I do have You are
1: now tuned in the to the pocket
0: space. You just sat back and am nope, ready to play. Let me take your thought, far, far, far away. Now let's hear what Darth Vader has to say. We would be honored if he would join us.
1: What's happening, Far, Far Away family? Welcome to Star Wars RDR archives. So how is everyone doing today? I hope everything is going well on your side of the galaxy. Nothing new going on out here in the Outer Rim. So today I wanted to bring up a question that a fan asked me. David Lotto sent me an email and asked, is there such thing as a droid that could use the Force in the Star Wars universe? And David, I hope I said your last name right. But the crazy thing is, I had just been reading an article about this topic. So was it the Force? Is the Force talking to me and telling me to answer this question? So I activated my research brain and got to work. And this is what I came up with. In current canon, there has never been a droid who could use the Force. However, there has been a few close calls, and one proper example that had been rendered non-canon was in 1999 comic book that introduced a character named Skippy the Jedi droid, who most fans know him better as R5-D4. R5 was originally introduced in A New Hope. He was one of the two droids that Luke Skywalker and his uncle Owen were going to buy from the Jawas while shopping for an automated farm hill. Luckily, R5's motivator unit exploded, causing Owen to buy R2-D2, in the 1999 comic, R5 was depicted as the first and only Force-sensitive droid. R5 experienced a premonition, convincing him of the importance of the purchase decision. R5 deliberately caused his malfunction, sacrificing himself for the galaxy. Cannon sees him make the same decision after he talk with R2. Either way, he's a hero. In Legend, there was the Iron Knights, which certainly looked like Force-sensitive droids, to the normal viewer. They are seven and a half foot tall droids that have typical force powers and lightsabers. However, underneath the metal and wiring, Iron Knights are silicone-based living crystals called Shards. Shards are sentient and frequently force-sensitive, but their natural form is immobile. As a result, a Jedi Master called Inquis taught them the Jedi ways, and gave them a variety of combat droid bodies. Technically, Iron Knights are cyborgs, rather than full droids. They haven't been incorporated into Disney canon, but it tells that a Jedi wanted to do a show about that and find someone who seeks to combine the force with advanced technology could be very interesting. Finally, in the current canon, there's a curious case of Professor Hu Yang. Hu Yang is a forearm architect droid who has been performing an extremely important task for over a thousand years. Hu Yang is the teacher that helps Jedi younglings assemble their lightsabers. Young Jedis must use their growing and developing force powers to create their primary weapon then use the force to find the kyber crystal to power it. This process would logically be taught by a being with a deep connection to the force, but Hu Yang gets the job done every time. He seems to have a mechanical understanding of the force, viewing it more as a scientific phenomenon than a mystical one. His connection to a power he cannot experience for himself raises a lot of interesting questions, most of which have gone unanswered so far. So why can't droids use the force? A droid's inhibition to access the Force is probably an issue of logistics. Star Wars is still explaining the mystical powers through an unpleasant biological concept. Midichlorians were introduced in the Phantom Menace, immediately becoming one of the most despised aspects of the narrative. All the magics and wonder of the psychic power were now replaced by a numerical value that can be determined by a blood test, barely one step removed from the tenets of Scientology since symbiotic genetically transferred blood-dwelling organisms are the real explanation for the theoretical mystical force. Droids just don't have the right fluids. Droids don't have blood. So they can't have midi-chlorians, and it is simple as that. There is one droid in the galaxy who is pretty sure he has figured out a way to use the force. 000, frequently referred to as Triple Zero, is a protocol droid of the same model as C-3PO. He was designed with the same general purpose, but he also specializes in torture and interrogation. Triple Zero suggests that draining the blood out of a victim with high midi-chlorian count and inserting it into a droid could grant the droid powers. The theory hasn't been tested, and Trip is unpleasantly vague with some of the fine details. He's also evil and seemingly obsessed with draining the blood out of people, so he might just be trying to buy himself some more test subjects. Droids have gotten the short end of the stick in the Star Wars universe. They are either doing demeaning labor for some for organic life, sacrificing themselves to save the day, or being mowed down in droves by more important characters. If there is any truth to Triple Zero's theory, it might be time to test it out. But then I ask myself the question, can the Force use a droid or a ship? In one of the books, but for the life of me, I can't remember which one, it talks about the creation of the Millennium Falcon, and it had a mind of its own way before it got off the assembly line. Can we say that the Force was using the ship, knowing that it would be instrumental in the years to come? As we all know by the end of the socket, it had three different droid brains in the system. But for some reason, they all did the same thing. It is hard to speculate on how the true force works. Remember, Obi-Wan said that it binds the galaxy together. So if the force is holding the entire galaxy together, that means there is more to it than just midi-chlorians, And that means that a droid or a ship could be used by the force itself. Or maybe the midi-chlorians are in every element, and since metal is a combination of elements, maybe a droid could be force sensitive. There is no real answer to this question. If we go off of what Obi-Wan said, yes they can. But if we go off of what Qui-Gon said, you must have living cells. Either way, I have never heard of a droid that could use the Force, and I can never find any reliable sources that a droid had ever used the Force. So if anyone can find somewhere where a droid in fact used the Force, shoot us an email at sway.audio at gmail.com and let us know. Okay, now let's jump back into Brotherhood, because when we left off last week, Anakin and Mill had just disarmed all the bombs. Then they decided to rest. Mill was exhausted from all that they had done. Anakin rested a bit, but he could not figure out why these bombs were there. What did all this have to do with Obi-Wan? Then Mill started to feel sorry for the people, and Anakin had to tell her to focus on the mission. So let's see what's happening now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com tech.
0: Mill Alabeth. The proceedings played out on a giant holographic display, like a sporting event rather than a war trial. Mill steadied herself, every roar and surge of emotion swaying her. That's Senator lot, Dodd. Anakin said as a homographic name in fancy robes took up the space and began speaking. Mill's lips twisted in confusion, prompting Anakin to continue. He represents the Trade Federation in galactic politics. They've committed to remaining neutral in the war, have disavowed Newt Gunray. Caiton Mordia is the center of their operations. But here, he's promised to stay out of any investigation. Dodd's brief, calm talk did little to soothe the crowd, though. I am abiding by the commitment I have previously made, he said, the crowd continuing to chatter over his projected voice. My presence is as an observer. I am in orbit above Caetone with fellow Trade Federation officials. We leave this in the capable hands of those with the best perspective. The leaders of Caetone Mordia itself. Mild applause rippled through the square, and Mill looked up at the person who'd become a mentor to her over the last few days. He stood, his jaw tight beneath an unblinking stare. And though Mill was capable of picking up emotions from everyone around her, Anakin Skywalker remained a mystery. Not because his emotions were hidden. No, it was that they were all there. Each one fighting to be seen and heard, like every color thrown on top of one another to blur themselves all out. Bring out the prisoner, a voice said over loudspeakers. And the hologram switched from Senator Dodd, to a live view of the courtyard setting. The whole thing floating above the spectators in the square. A judge oversaw the proceedings, an older female Nemoidian in ceremonial robes and headdress, wearing a silver-lined sash that probably indicated her official rank. Obi-Wan Kenobi came out in shackles, walking with a steady pace and a calm look on his face, even though guards pushed them forward with the butts of their rifles. ''This is where we have to split up,'' Anakin said. He knelt down and looked Mill straight in the eye. There it was again, that whirlwind of emotions that seemed to both orbit and permeate Anakin, unlike any other Jedi she'd ever encountered. Perhaps unlike any other being in existence. What lay beyond that, at the eye of the storm? The past few days had exposed her to so many different types of people in such a range of circumstances that her unique ability evolved into instinct. She found herself being able to filter the waves of emotions and reset herself like a muscle. It grew stronger and more controlled, rapidly becoming something that connected her with the Force without overwhelming her senses. Except... with Anakin. ''Listen,'' he said. ''Stick to the plan. Know what to look for. We'll rendezvous when the time is right, and trust in the Force. But more important,'' he nodded, as if he were saying this to himself. ''Trust in yourself. Understood, Master. I'll see you soon, youngling.'' With that, Anakin moved swiftly like he rode a wave that carried him through the crowd of people. Several seconds later, and Mill couldn't have found Anakin if she tried. She pulled her dirty, torn hood over her head and set out in the opposite direction, doing exactly what he'd instructed. Look for a way out. Voices broadcast overhead. Official declarations that reviewed the recent days, from Obi-Wan's arrival to the events that Mill watched as a holographic replay the confrontation in the Caternemoidean office, the chase along the terrace and parapet, his eventual capture. But she ignored the details, not needing them, and instead focused on the things Anakin emphasized to her. First, there needed to be a path that provided solid cover and easy stealth with the ability to switch things up should they need to lose guards. Second, As few obstacles as possible, which Mill took as find a stretch with the fewest guards. She searched, using the Force to provide a deeper perspective to her space in the ways that so many in the temple had taught her over the years. And the more she sank into the Force, combining her natural abilities and reading what the Force told her, the more she felt like each step forward increased her capabilities and her understanding of herself. She was glad that she'd skipped the gathering. A lightsaber didn't find the way. Not in a situation like this. The broadcast continued. A lengthy speech going step by step over the rooftop chase. And Mill moved as fast as she could only to hit a wall of emotions that stopped her in her tracks. The massive wave of pain all came from the south side, and as she closed her eyes to let the Force color in her true vision, she saw it. Not the damage of the people watching the trial, but injured Nemoidians and others lying down in a huge makeshift infirmary. The voices of the trial faded away as Mill gave in to the vision. The burning, red silhouettes of each and every person filling up her mind's eye until she finally forced herself to return to the here and now. She opened her eyes and found herself some ten meters from the infirmary. A white tent draped over a shoddy frame, as if the Force had unconsciously pulled her there. One breath, then two, then a third went in and out, a calming technique that reconnected her mind and body. And she noticed a detail that might just save herself, Anakin, and Obi-Wan. R2-D2 rolled up behind her. The droid's beeps, sounding like they chastised her for leaving him behind. I'm sorry, R2. She said, patting the droid on the dome. Can you scan for any guards? I don't see any. I don't sense any. I only sense... Patient, lying down. An internal whirring came from the droid. Sounds that Mill didn't quite get, followed by droid language that she didn't quite understand. But the rhythm of it told her enough. R2D2 agreed. There weren't any guards nearby. I don't think they're guarding this infirmary, she said. The droid beeped some more, and Mill took slow steps forward. They might not be guarding any of the infirmaries are they doing this to let them recover in peace or does the military just her voice trailed off though r2d2 waited patiently just not care her pace quickened and the droid soon followed the sound of wheels rolling over gravel come on
1: Let's find out before Anakin does whatever he's going to do. Okay, this was a very short part. It starts with Anakin and Mill viewing the start of Obi-Wan's trial. As they watch, Anakin tells Mill to find them a way out, basically an escape route. Then they separate with Anakin reminding Mill to stay focused on the task and trust in the Force and herself. As Mill explores searching for a way out, she is hit with a vision of people in pain. She pulls herself together when R2 rolls up complaining about her leaving him. And that was really the only thing that happened in this part. Like I said earlier, it was really short. It didn't even give me enough to say whether or not I liked it or not. So let's get to the quote for this week, and it comes to us from Buddha. He said, Your purpose in life is to find your purpose and give your whole heart and soul to it. This quote from Buddha speaks of an importance of discovering our unique purpose in life and committing ourselves fully to it. The concept of purpose can sometimes feel abstract or hard to define, but it is essentially the reason we are here on this Earth. It's the thing that makes us feel like we have a place in this world, and that our lives are valuable and important. When we have a sense of purpose, we feel motivated, inspired, and fulfilled. For many people, discovering their purpose can be a lifelong journey. It often involves exploring different interests, trying new things, and figuring out what truly makes us happy and fulfilled. It can also involve overcoming obstacles and setbacks and learning to navigate the challenges that come with pursuing our dreams. One way to think about purpose is to consider the example of a bird. A bird's purpose is to fly, to soar through the sky and explore the world from above. When a bird is flying, it is fully immersed in its purpose and it experiences a sense of joy and freedom that cannot be matched. In the same way, each of us has a purpose that is unique to us. It might involve helping others, creating something new, exploring the world, or any number of other things. The key is to discover what that purpose is and commit ourselves fully to it. For example, imagine a teenager who loves to draw. They spend hours every day creating, sketching, and painting. And they feel happiest when they are immersed in their art. As they grow older, they start to wonder if they could pursue a career as an artist. But they also worry about whether it's a practical choice and whether they will be able to make a living doing something they love. This is a common dilemma that many people face when they are trying to discover their purpose. We often worry about whether our passion and our dreams are practical and realistic, and we can be hesitant to fully commit to them. But if we look to the example of the bird, we can see our purpose is not something that can be defined by practicality or reason. It is something that comes from deep within, from the very core of our being. And when we find that purpose and commit ourselves fully to it, we can experience a sense of fulfillment and a purpose that makes our lives truly meaningful. So if you're a person who is still trying to figure out what your passion in life is, don't worry. It is okay to explore different interests and try new things. Keep pursuing the things that make you happy and fulfilled, and eventually you'll discover your purpose. And when you do, commit to it wholeheartedly and watch as your life begins to take new meaning and purpose. Okay, that's all I have for this episode. Join us next week for part 40 of Star Wars Brotherhood. We hope to see you there. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shed and is a production of Pick Film Media and was distributed by Sway Cast Networks. This show was produced by Quinn McDaniel. Star Wars Brotherhood was read to you by Jason O'Dagan. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.